Welcome to Getting Work to Work, a weekly podcast that explores the creative and curious world of work through monologues and conversations with artists, creative entrepreneurs, storytellers, and changemakers. Not a day goes by lately where I'm not thinking about reinventing myself and the work I do. I find myself working more with my hands, which led me to reach out to Gary Rogowski and invite him back on the show for another conversation about craft, failure, practice, process, and constant improvement. Gary is a furniture maker, writer, and teacher. In this conversation, he shares how he reinvented his work over the past year, along with his curiosity for geometry, storytelling, and birdwatching. He also has a lot to say about problem solving, the secret to focusing, finding success with the small things, and how teaching truly impacts a craftsperson. Show notes and links to all the good stuff mentioned in this episode can be found at gwtw.co slash 600. Well, Gary, welcome back to Getting Work to Work. The last time we talked was over two years ago, episode 350, and uh, you're back for episode 600. Well, thanks for having me back. Absolutely. I couldn't think of someone I would want to talk to other than you. So I'm, I'm glad that you're willing to uh, come back and share your journey. It's taken some time, a couple of years to get over the scars of the first interview, but I'm back. I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's like, it's like you've known me for years. <laughs> you sent me some really interesting uh, questions this morning. and uh, I've been walking around talking to myself all morning. So it's, that's fun. That's good stuff. Well, I'm curious what you'll say to this one, because I've been asking everyone this question probably since we've talked, but what are you endlessly curious about? Well, <laughs> uh, curiosity. I'm interested in all sorts of stuff, so I, I, it's, it's hard to get bored. So I have a new refound fascination with geometry and <laughs> uh, because a lot of stuff with my students now, all my classes have gone online. I'm finding that I have to, I guess, augment some of the uh, information I give out because I can't just point at a drawing and say, here, look at this. <laughs> if you have any questions, talk to me. I have to really, I have to explain some stuff out. So, so that's been fascinating because it opens doors and you start playing around with geometry from a design standpoint. Mm -hmm. It just opens up doors. It just, and not necessarily that you come up with something immediately or astonishing right away but it just gets your brain moving and that's been so much fun mm -hmm. so um i'm curious about that and i'm curious about storytelling so those those two those two items are filling my time and bookshelf nice storytelling and geometry i love it well it's there's i years ago it's probably now six seven years ago I took, a, I was in a writing workshop. Uh, I had a novel. I wanted to see if I could get published. And my mentor, I got an hour with him, um, was this professor of literature and the NPR book reviewer. And I was, I was pumped. And, <laughs> and, uh, and I, I had to give him one chapter and I gave him chapter 10 of this, this novel I'd written. And he, and he said, well, Maybe you could start over. <laughs> <laughs> Never what you want to hear. Oh, so deflating. But he, he, he built me back up and said, you know, it's just like, you know, writing a story. It's just like building a piece of furniture, I imagine, because he wasn't a furniture maker. But um, 
Well, we just have to figure out the bones of it, put stuff around it. And it was an interesting analogy. And so I'm still working on that now. I actually working on it this morning. It's uh, fun to think about how you put things together and understanding is such a crucial part of it. And so can I, can I segue into, into the philosophy I'm reading now? Please, please do. You know, I, I've been thinking a lot about these big items as curiosity and inspiration and stuff. So I got this used copy of uh, Aristotle's Poetics, which I should have read in college, but didn't. <laughs> And there's this discussion about Plato thinking that all the poets, basically when he referred to poetry, that was everything. It was music, theater, literature, everything was the poets. And um, they were inspired. So you couldn't teach someone to be a poet. They They were chosen and they were only inspired. And Aristotle comes along and he says, nah, here are the rules. Here are the rules for for poetry. Here are the rules for poetics, which is the name of the book, Poetics. So it's fascinating to think about, you know, one's own creativity and how do you access it? And hey, do I just have to come up with stuff? And the answer, like in most things, is right down the middle between those two guys. Because Aristotle, I, I, I got a book out of the library that was his collected works. Man, that is drier than toast. Just list after list after list of, you know, what's the word I want? I can't remember it right now. And Plato, on the other hand, is, you know, running around naked on a slip and slide. And, and so somewhere in the middle, I think, is where the, where the truth lies. It's understanding that you can get inspired, but then you have to do all this work. Yes. That's really the key, I think. Okay. So, like, I have this wonderful mental picture now of, like, Dry toast running around naked on a slip and slide. <laughs> well, the toast is going to get wet. <laughs> You're all soggy. Oh my gosh. But I mean, could you imagine having the tenacity to like show up and be like, this is how you do your craft? These are the rules. Um, I, I don't follow you. What's. Well, like the, the Aristotle to, to show up with, with the rules, essentially, of, of this is what it all is. Well, you know, on the one hand, you say, get, get out of here. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. You, you don't know anything about it. I've yeah. been doing this most of my life. And on the other hand, I think about this other book I read a couple of years ago, uh, Craftsmanship by Richard Sennett. And he's an academician. There's no question about it. <laughs> couple of degrees, teaches, at least when the book was written, was teaching in New York and in London. So the guy has academic chops up, you know, wazoo, but he wrote this book on craftsmanship, sort of what I consider my my own personal bailiwick, right? And he nailed it. He's talked about stuff and he just nailed it. And the closest he got to being a craftsman was playing piano. But his understanding of failure a uh, big one, practice, uh, the need for constant improvement, um, and just a very clear understanding of stuff. So, yeah, Aristotle might be able to walk into my shop and teach me something. So I don't <laughs> you can't always presume that you know everything. Ah. Um, usually one doesn't. I don't. <laughs> so if you look at the last two years 
of of our existence on planet Earth. What what have you been learning about life and storytelling and and reinvention and and all of those wonderful things that we've all had to do? When COVID started, I I was out here in the country and I have this picture window looks out of this cabin and uh, I started feeding the birds. And what I realized as I stared at them and their behavior is that they're a lot like us. Their battles are sort of in species. So, you know, every once in a while, someone's crowding someone else away from the water bar. <laughs> but uh, it's just fascinating to watch them, how they're, um, you know, everyone's there feeding. And then, you know, they get this, this little squabble between a couple of birds of the same stripe. And we have this incredible pandemic that we haven't seen in almost 100 years. Um, or something like it in a hundred years. And that now it's devolved into this squabble about what's real and what's true and what do you trust? And it's, it's just the same kind of squabble in a way. It's, it's really bizarre because you'd think that everyone would want to be on the same side of this. And let's get this figured out, and get back to what normal used to be. Even though that was not so great. And, and I, I think this is from both sides, because on the one hand, you've got the, the scientists, and I have a couple of scientists in my, in my online mastery group now. One's an epidemiologist, and they have a real clear sense of what they know, except they're not sure what it means. <laughs> so <laughs> they have a really clear sense of these facts. They're just not sure yet how to interpret these facts. And, you know... Us schmoes out here are going, well, if you don't know, what are we supposed to do with this knowledge, right? Exactly. You know, wear gloves, don't wear gloves, wear masks. Well, today I read, you can wear a mask, even if someone else isn't wearing a mask. If you're both wearing a mask, that's better, but, you know, it's just chatter. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, be smart, take care of yourself, don't harm anyone else. Let's get on with things. So it's, it, yeah, it's, it's uh, wearing. The second year has been quite wearing. The first year was eye-opening and terrifying in, in certain ways, but, you know, um, managed to get through it. But the second year is just wearing everybody out, I think. I think so, too. And it, it's almost like, you know, I, I like the bird-watching analogy because I feel like the first year is we all took that collective staring at the birds. And now in year two, it's like, we are the birds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're squabbling over little pieces of, of seed. Right. Yeah. It is interesting. And one of the things that's fascinating is you've had to basically reinvent how you teach woodworking. Yeah. Yeah. That happened March 15th, 2021. <laughs> that's, the, that's the day I shut my studio. I said, oh, this is not going well. <laughs> so. Um, yeah, I, I was lucky because I had some students who were versed in this world of technology and Zoom and, and all that stuff. So they were able to help me get started and do some lectures and do some classes. And at that time, there were lots of people interested because everyone was at home. Things have changed a little bit, but I've sort of changed changed a little bit, too, as I figured out what 
kind of format I want to have online. But it's been it's been a, a challenge. Everyone's been you know challenged by it. I'm just glad I'm not in the restaurant business. I can tell you that. I mean, I just can't imagine how those guys stay alive. You can do it online uh, and teach furniture making online, surprisingly enough. A very tactile, very hands-on activity, but you can make it work. Um, what What did the first class look like? I, I'm curious because I'm trying to put myself in the shoes of learning woodworking through Zoom. Well, I, the first things I was doing were just lectures. I would just pick a topic. I don't remember what the very first one was. I could look it up, but yeah, I was just would sit at my bench and and we'd have forty or fifty people, and, and then we do a Q and A after hour. And, but you know, I was I would talk finishes or I would talk hand planes or machines. I talk you know just sort of general topics, mm-hmm. but that curriculum Mm -hmm. i basically recorded and now have it on my website for people to access and download or for a period of time to learn from Uh, and i've moved on to my mastery program and i was at a point with that where things were kind of limping along i didn't have i had two local students and only a few distance students and so I switched everything online, and in, now I have over 30 students. So oh, wow. it's really, yeah, it's grown immensely. Yeah. Um, there are challenges. There's no question about it. At first, I felt the need to fill up two and a half hours of <laughs> Zoom time, and it was exhausting. <laughs> Finally, I realized, this is crazy. I got to let these guys work for a little bit. Uh, and and that's the, that was my normal teaching method. Here, here's the operation. Watch me do it. Now you give it a try. Got questions? Great. I'm here. Or I'll stop everyone and show someone who's doing a great job or who's having a problem. This is how you fix it. Uh, but that's not really possible. What happens? What happens in a Zoom class is that people have their laptop and I'll see their face and be talking. And I'll be giving a lecture and I'll say, "Okay, so go off and try this," and then they'll leave <laughs> and I won't see them again for twenty. <laughs> Like okay, I can't imagine everyone leaving their mics unmuted while they're like running a belt sander or something. I do have the uh, ability to to mute people. (laughs) That's true. Have them all get GoPros so that I can see what the heck they're doing. (laughs) A lot of times, I don't really know what they're doing, and so I have to rely on them a little bit for um, self awareness. and so I, I also have a, a weekly office hours so that people can come and ask questions, and, hmm. you know, they run into stuff. So, so it's, it's really different, but it's, you know, it's keeping us engaged and, and we're busy building stuff and that's great. So That's really cool. How has that helped you to see new possibilities for your craft? That's one of the questions that was I was chewing on this morning. I don't know. I just read this article about Brian Boggs, chairmaker. I don't know if you know him. Uh, and it was in a magazine that I've written for called uh, called craftsmanship.net. And I was actually in the article. I had been quoted about him. And, and he's an amazing engineer and has redesigned tools and all sorts of stuff whenever he builds something. 
and was talking about using CAD and um, versus a paper and pencil. And his conclusion is is mine, and that is that for this kind of kind of work, building something with your hands gives you a lot more information than figuring out how to draw a three D image in CAD and then spinning it around. It just it's just not the same. And so in some respects, um, nothing has changed. Um, we need to engage as, as furniture makers in process and uh, failure uh, to teach ourselves. And on the, on the flip side of that is I had, to, I had to light into my students. This is in the first year in this one group and they were, their photos were so bad. And, and that's, you know, that's all we can look at, right? The photo of the finished piece. And photography is so critical now that you can't just, you know, blast off a shot with your iPhone, not frame it, not light it, uh, expect to, the piece to look good. You just can't do it. And so I've had to, and I'm not a trained photographer. I've done photography for years, but I've had to train these students in how to take photos. And that's been pretty interesting. Because it's, it's right. You, you walk around with the camera, right? Or three of them now in the new iPhone. <laughs> right. Yeah. And do you know how to use all three? Yeah, me neither. <laughs> but, uh, it's sort of automatic. You don't really, you know, if you choose portrait versus video, it's automatic. But there's art to photography. And one of the things, Chris, that bugs me about the internet is we have the world's largest library ever at our disposal and um still we are inundated with cat videos um <laughs> and videos you know with hundreds of thousands of views of people who don't really know much about woodworking um but they've got a, a splashy title page and you won't believe this genius whatever yeah and so there's a there's a certain amount of paths that people just fall into i've I do the same thing <laughs> but but it's uh you just have to be a little bit aware of, of where you're getting your information from um it's hard it's hard to vet anyone so there's uh one needs to be cautious i guess with this stuff. Yeah. and yet you know i i listen to to these uh, music videos. I don't know if, you, if you've seen any of these guys who, who parse a tune and say, this is the greatest rock and roll tune, tune ever. Or, this is the greatest jazz solo ever. <laughs> right. And I don't know anything about music and I find them fascinating. You know, I'm listening in and he's talking about pentatonic scale and I have no idea what he's talking about. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, the whole social media route when it comes to woodworking. Because like, I'll I'll see them online and and it will be showing like these intricate like I don't know what they're called joints or like they'll they'll be cutting sections of the beams out and putting them together and and like it's like happening in the blink of an eye and it as someone who's interested in it but doesn't know where to start I'm watching this going oh it's really easy it, it it can be over in a blink of an eye, but so could losing my finger. <laughs> yeah, that's easy. <laughs> so yeah. easy. And then you get started and you're like, wow, I don't know a darn thing. That is the lie of 
of the internet. They, they don't want to show you how much time it actually takes to run through it once, screw it up once, repair the mistake, figure out a better way of doing it, and then trying it again, and then speeding up the, the, the results. So yeah, it's a whole, it's a whole thing. It, it does make me interested, though, in the whole idea of beginner's mindset. Um, because, you know, when you're a beginner, you, you obviously have a beginner's mindset, but as someone who on your journey of mastery, how do you really wrap your mind around that place of beginner's mindset and expert mindset? Do you mean the difference between them or the? No, it's maybe the the paradox between them. Cause on one hand, in order to continue on the journey, you can't just like be content with where you're at. You need to constantly be learning. So there's that tension, I guess. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's one that's one of the things that I, I really enjoyed about Senate's book, um, Craftsmanship, because he understood that a craftsperson is constantly judging their own work Mm -hmm. and it's just that since i've done this work for so long maybe i'm coming back to something i haven't done in years but the learning curve for me is is i I, i'll get it really quick whereas Mm -hmm. a beginner just has to struggle with it yeah so there's that understanding and and some of it is is just body memory, knowing how to hold yourself and, and knowing that you are gauging your results uh, instead of hoping for results like a beginner of mine. I hope this works. <laughs> and, hope I don't mess this up. <laughs> right. Which is not to say that masters don't mess things up. They do all the time. It's just they spend very little time berating themselves or maybe a little bit, but uh, then they just get on to the fix. Right. And, and I tell you, this, this is very true for me. My book handmade started off with this line. I am one of the loudest woodworkers there is. And that was because I was, I would get so upset with myself uh, and I still do. And I'm still pretty loud, but I learned that the size of the problem is enormous once encounter. Once you make a mistake, it, it it takes over the room. It's huge. And the size of it diminishes you. And I'm an idiot. And don't I know better? You know, all this whole litany of things. And, and what the beginner doesn't understand is that you just have to walk away. You just walk away from the problem. And uh, when I had a shop that was on a city block, if it was a really bad problem, I would walk all the way around the block. And if it wasn't too bad a problem, I just walked down to the corner and back. And by the time I got back into the shop, I had, I had the solution figured out. And, oh, that's what I have to do. Okay. Now, if it was really bad, I would have to make a new piece. But since I had just done the operations to get to that point, I could redo them very quickly. And, and understanding that allows a you know, trained craftsperson to say, oh, it's not really that bad. Yes, you are. Yes, I am an idiot. <laughs> but it's not really that bad. So let's just fix it and move on. Um, so uh, one of the things I tell my students is uh, the importance 
of never, ever pointing out your mistakes to a client or you're giving a gift to someone. They don't care and they don't see it. You see it and that's great and that's fine. Uh, and you'll get better the next time because you've made that mistake. But there's nothing to be gained by saying, you know, someone says, oh, what a beautiful piece. And you go, yeah, but, you know, I screwed this up over here and the finish is kind of blotchy over here. <laughs> and the person is now going, oh, well, I didn't notice that before. <laughs> Just don't do it. Just don't point it out. Just say thank you. You know, I'm trying really hard. <laughs> Beginners uh, are, operate under this uh, presumption mm -hmm. that since they are skilled at something else and they've spent 20 years or 30 years or 40 years doing it, and they're really good at, at, at that something, that when they pick up something new, they should be equally good at it. Mm -hmm. So their, their expectations about what's great are, are really high already but their expectations about what they can do are too high for their abilities. And uh, we need to, <laughs> need to dial back. I had a, a surgeon in class once and he was taking the beginning, beginning classes before COVID and he taught surgery, been around for a long time. He was teaching surgery. And he said, well, I never knew how much surgery and woodworking were alike. <laughs> and I said, well, me neither. <laughs> because he said, you know, in, in surgery, you make a mistake, you've got to fix it quick, but you learn not to go down that, that rabbit hole. You learn very quickly not to create these issues for yourself. And the same thing is true with woodwork. You know, if you're cutting something, you, you know you can't cut in this direction because you're going to get tear out with unsupported fibers. You have to cut in this direction if you do that. But Everything's fine. And then you can finesse that cut by angling your tool better at a different angle. So, you know, we learn. And it's true with everything. It's just that beginners have those high expectations of their results. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it, and it sums up where I've been the last probably two to three months because uh, I, I really wanted to learn how to work on my guitars myself. And so oh. I learned how to solder and change guitar pickups. And it seemed like oh. one thing led to another thing, which led to another thing. And there is that voice in my head that said, because I'm skilled in all of these other things that I've done on the computer for so long, that naturally I should be good at this immediately. And it wasn't true. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's very common. It's just yeah. very common, particularly for people who are skilled. I mean, they go, oh, I know that. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was going to pick up French. 10 years ago, I said, ah, you know, I should get there in a few weeks. You know, no way. No way. It's, yeah, it's very challenging. But also humbling, uh, too. Oh, it's so humbling. <laughs> yeah. If you can get over the, well, with language, there can be embarrassment. But if you can get over the embarrassment of yourself being, you know, a schmo about some stuff and, and know that you just have to, you know, muscle through it, then, uh, then there are rewards. Yeah. There are definitely rewards. Yeah. I, I definitely kept at it and didn't want to quit. I love the idea though, of, of what you shared of, you know, walking around the block, uh, because it's like, 
I, I would tell those stories in my head of just like, oh man, how could you be so stupid? Why didn't you just put all that money that you spent in something else? And, you know, you start this rabbit right. trail of, of self-judgment and, and yet, you know, fast forward three months and, you know, one of my projects this weekend was changing the garage door opener. And I, I, I don't oh, think wow. I would have gone on that journey if I hadn't have started by humbling myself to, you know, try something small. Yeah. And it's one of the things that's um, good about taking these things on is success. <laughs> it feels really good when you're successful. Yes. And it could be something really small. Um, so I had to, I had to do some, some work on a door and I've been putting it off, putting it off. And I'm thinking about it. Okay. Well, I need all these tools and I got to get, I had to get this and that and all this stuff to put this latch on this door. It took me weeks to think about it. And it took me about half an hour to do the job, mm. but I suppose, you know, that's my process. I just got to make sure everything's right, but it felt so good to, to get it done and just check it off the list. Yeah. And that allows you to go back and try something else. Yeah. What what is what is the the adage that's attributed to Abraham Lincoln? Like I spend all the time sharpening the axe so that I can just get the job done quickly. Mm, yeah, I don't know that one, but yeah, it's preparation. It's preparation that matters. No question about it. Is this where things like geometry geometry plays a factor and like preparing you and how you think about it and how you sketch and, and plan ahead? No, no. Geometry is um, both a, kind of a like crossword puzzles for me, just sort of a mental exercise that once you start with a, a, a ruler and compass, you can just start generating shapes and, and you come up with these things and you go, oh, <laughs> who knew? <laughs> <laughs> that inside of a hexagon, you can create this square that looks isometrically drawn and realize that that's something you've seen on a tiled floor before or seen it in a museum before. And, um, it, it just opens up doors. I, you know, I don't know that they lead anywhere specific, but they're, they're just fun to, fun to follow. I, on the other hand, geometry is uh, an important tool when you're building chairs. And, and uh, <laughs> yes. my second year students are, are involved in their chair, chair projects now. And um, I explained rake and splay to them at least six or eight different ways. <laughs> I'm just going, wow. All right, let's try this again. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, uh, it's can be really challenging. Hmm. Um, people can be really challenged by geometry and, and, and so um, it challenges me to explain things better in a different way, in a way that someone else has already gotten and someone else doesn't see it that way. So, yeah, it's just, just have to keep working with that, uh, with language. But geometry is it's really important to pay attention to when you build a chair. What is rake and splay? Well, you know when you tip back on your chair and you should not be doing it. <laughs> as I do on my office chair, that uh, if the chair legs are kicked out behind you in rake, 
that makes it harder to, to tip back on your chair legs. And if they're tipped out to the side, if they're splayed out to the side, it gives you more stability. And that rake and splay are what you see in Windsor chairs. And that gives it a particular look and balance and stability. And there are compound angles at play here, but they can be, I'm trying to think of the right word here, um, communicated as a simple angle in order to drill a hole or put in a mortise at a simple angle. And a simple angle is one that's at 90 degrees in one direction and some angle in another direction. So we, when you drill a hole, you drill a hole at two, two angles, hmm. 90 degrees and 90 degrees. You drill them straight in, but that's from, from two angles. Interesting. Um, and a simple angle is at 90 degrees in one direction and maybe 80 degrees in another direction. So you have a 10 degree rake. Um, and if it's tipped out in splay, <laughs> So now you have two angles and you can set up two sliding bevels so you can see those two angles, but that, that's hard when you're by yourself. Or you can figure out the simple angle towards the center of the seat and, um, and use a little trigonometry. Don't be scared, everyone. Um, use a little trig and uh, because trig is just ratios. And if you do the ratios, and Trig will tell you what that simple angle is. And you just tip at that simple angle. You don't have legs looking kind of cockeyed because they're at different angles or everything is doing the, the same thing. So, yeah, it's, really, it's fun. It's really fun. To my art, Gary, of course it's going to be cattywampus. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I got it. Well, I have, you know, one of these projects I've always done with students is to make these little milking stools and you're just drawing angles and setting up two sliding bevels, but there's people to help you do that. But oh, I got a couple of stools here that just, they don't line up at all. I mean, they work, but the <laughs> angles are just not the same. So I keep trying to help my students get better at this and me too. Yeah. Me too. I mean, there, there's something powerful about teaching that, that helps you to grow in ways that you wouldn't grow if you weren't teaching. It's incredible. It's incredible. And, and that's, this is the thing that uh, people who haven't taught don't understand that. Uh, okay. Here's my best story. And I, <laughs> I use this everywhere, yes. but this is my best story about teaching. I was at this workshop to learn how to tie bamboo in the intricate nine move Japanese method. So there was this nine move knot that the Japanese used to tie up bamboo for their gardens, for railings, for fences, for whatnot. And there were, I don't know, 20 or 30 people in this class and we had broken up into three different groups and we had three different instructors and they each had a different method of tying this knot. They all got to the same conclusion, but they all tied it in a different method. And so they decided, these teachers, to work around the room. So we each had an opportunity to work with each of the instructors, which screwed everybody up because no one could figure out how to tie this knot. And I would get it, and then I'd forget it, and then I'd try again, and I wouldn't get it. Really frustrated. And my teacher saw me struggling, and he came over and he said, do you fish? 
I said, no, I don't fish. He said, you don't fish? I said, no, I I don't fish. He said, it's just like fishing. (laughs) (laughs) I said, oh, okay, that's great. That really cleared it up for me. So, so, um, yeah, understanding uh, how different students learn differently is is huge some people need to see it some people i need to write stuff down it's tedious but i need to write it down and take my own notes reading notes does nothing Um, some people are visual some people need to practice it so you know but everyone's got well there are i think four principal methods of learning and so um yeah understanding how People need to see it from different perspectives. It's really important. But also the great thing about teaching is that it forces you to become really clear about what you're doing. And, um, you know, oh, I pick up my left arm and I extend it (laughs) and do this and that with it. And and it just, it makes you really examine all your your processes. That's really revealing. Hmm. So uh, what does your creative journey look like moving forward? from today there's too much to do there's not enough time um and so rather than uh getting overwhelmed by the number of things i want to get done i am trying mightily to focus on okay let's just get this thing done Mm -hmm. let's just whatever this thing is (laughs) let's just get that done and so you know i've got some pieces of furniture to finish some that have been in process for years and just been sitting there so uh, there's that and there's some that i want to build and then maybe teach a class on how to do it um, and there's some some carving work that i want to do because i'm trying to do more carving and that's great fun so all that stuff is is out there and then i i, I like the writing stuff so i'm going to keep writing and keep working on that and there's oof, again lots of started projects i need to finish them so that's what's ahead fun stuff very fun stuff and and what yeah. i appreciate about it too is that you know you just keep moving forward each day and and i like the notion of picking whatever that thing is that you need to get done i like that it's very freeing yeah you can't well so i'm sort of splitting my time between my i have a sort of an interim shop in portland and this place i'm trying to get fitted out and I can come up here and I just walk around the first day going, there's too much to do. <laughs> I can't do, I can't do anything. There's too much to do. Um, but, and that's, it just becomes so typical. I sort of understand it now. I just say, yeah, just calm down, take a day, relax, enjoy yourself, stare at the birds and, uh, and then pick one <laughs> and just pick one. <laughs> Because I'm I'm really good at it flitting from project to project to project. <laughs> Got to pick one, pick one and stay on it. Makes yeah. it proper. I like making like yeah. lists that are way too long for a given day, and so the challenge that I'm trying to go on is like three things instead of seven things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I can make a list. Yeah. That long. Way too fast. Exactly. And so, you know, I'll go do a little bit on one and then move to the other. Oh, so I'm looking at making progress on so many levels. No, not really. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just pick one and try and push it through to the end. Or two or or maybe three. 
anyway, I what I like to do is get up really early and start writing and, and get some work done on that level. And then I, you know, I gotta stop. I gotta, you know, go for a hike or go for a walk or something. And hey, I need to go to the shop. So I bounce around, but yeah. try and keep the the uh, my goals limited for the day. And, and then, so at the end of the day, you can go, oh, I got something done because that feels good. Yeah. And that makes it better, easier to come back and, and try it again the next day. When you get nothing done and you've just, and you've been in the, in the shop or studio all day long and you've got nothing done, but bounce. Ugh, that's a lousy feeling. So focus, focus. That's the real problem these days is how to stay focused. It's so hard. So that's really any uh any secrets secrets yeah secrets to like working and focusing um well i think you know what i just said that you try and take something through all the way to the end it's not going to look like what you think it was going to look like but it'll be done and and that'll be good yeah Yeah. push through on the project because it's too easy to just get distracted and go off and do something else. Just try and yeah, make that list, but then cut it in half. <laughs> it's the opposite of what you do when you, when you bid a job. When you bid a job, you look up, you do all the hours and, and the old, the old, uh, old timers used to tell me, yeah, figure out how much it's going to take you and then double it. <laughs> well, I've learned you should triple it. And that'll give you a better idea. So that's how long things are going to take. Everything takes so much longer than you expect mm-hmm. that uh, you have to dial back your expectations. Oh, sure, I can get that done in a day, a week. Uh, and it, no, you can't. So that understanding. Make your lists smaller. And have many lists. That's a good thing. Yeah, that's a good thing. Well, Gary, thank you so much for being on the podcast again. It's it's a pleasure to talk with you and and learn from you. Thank you for the way that you constantly reinvent yourself and keep moving forward. It is an inspiration. You know, uh, I you know just another schmo here um, <laughs> trying to get some work done yeah. because you know it doesn't. So, have you read the book Flow? Yes. Yeah. Good book, not great book, but good book. And and I understand that that spot when, like when I'm carving, I get into that flow state, and that's a good place to be. And not solving the world's problems, I'm probably not getting a project done that day. But being in that state is is really valuable. I'm just trying to get back to those states and spots and get some work done. I like it. Last question for you. You've mentioned a couple of books throughout this episode, but uh, what book, podcast, or resource is blowing your mind right now? I'm reading uh, Now I Sit Me Down by Vital Rubchinsky, a book about chair design, which is interesting. <laughs> and then Alan Garner's Book of British Fairy Tales. <laughs> gruesome, unbelievably gruesome fairy tales, but so fascinating. Interesting. Really just fascinating. I just read the first two sentences before I fall asleep for the night. Um, <laughs> and then I, you know, pick it up again the next day, but just endless openings. This guy's got, they're so much fun. It was, uh, yeah. Anyway, he's uh, really inventive. That's fun. What century is he from? He's like from 1970s. Okay. 
Yeah. Um, but I, I, evidently he gathered these, these old British folk tales and then kind of reinvented them and rewrote them. And they're just a lot of fun. What can I say about 600 episodes and almost six years? This has truly been quite the ride. I've had a lot of thoughts and I've shared a lot of thoughts. I've talked with some really interesting people. And you know what? I'm going to keep going. There's no end to this podcast at this time. Uh, Sure, uh, for the next month or so, I'm going to go down to one episode a week just to refill my cup. But you know what? I love this show and I love the comments that I get from people. You can always send me your thoughts about an interview, about a monologue. Let me know what you're wrestling with. Chris, Chris Martin studios.com is how you can find me. And I truly am grateful for every listener, every guest and every person who has inspired me along the way until next time. May creativity and curiosity fuel your life.